Hi, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am thrilled to be joined via Skype today by Mary Clifton, MD. Hello, Mary. Hi, Howard. So you are the the uh, the co-author of two very wonderful and punny books, Waste Away and Get Wasted, and both of those have an eye in them, so they're they're much healthier than they might sound uh, in in audio. Um, you and I met over the summer at uh, the Vegetarian Summerfest, and I was just immediately struck by both the work you're doing and the the journey you're on, as well as the the sensibility you bring to it. So, um, first of all, you know you're 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 an MD, which means you're a very unlikely person for me to be talking about plant-based nutrition with. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you, how you got into doctoring and how you got into plant-based nutrition and were, were they, uh, you know, concurrent or did one follow the other? Oh yeah, they're definitely not concurrent. There's just virtually no training on nutrition in medicine. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure why that is. I think partly because we just haven't really yet come up with a, great succinct way to give advice to people and we don't really know um how to how to give advice clearly and quickly so so oftentimes nutrition in 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 education is just sort of a falling to the side well and part of the reason i think too howie is because of uh, all the things that uh, that uh, you talk about about uh, um reductionism versus holism and this idea of breaking food down into its various parts rather than seeing food as as whole foods that's uh, that's really been a detriment to nutrition education in general but yeah i went to michigan state university and graduated way back when in uh, 1995 with my md degree and then completed 3 years of internal medicine residency in uh, southwest michigan and then i opened up a shop in a solo uh, private internal medicine practice in traverse city and practiced there for a little over 10 years so so it wasn't until about six years ago that I really uh, thought about nutrition any more, honestly, than what my trainer would tell me at the gym or what I would see when I'd watch TV. I kept an eye on my protein and I worried about my calcium. That was my... Did it seem funny to you that you were a, a, a fully trained and practicing medical doctor and yet your gym trainer was the one giving you nutritional advice? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I knew I needed protein and that protein uh, malnutrition, uh, I was taught that protein malnutrition was a huge part of malnutrition uh, across the world and that we needed to correct that. So protein was a vital nutrient. And, uh, and I also knew a lot about calcium and healthy bones, and so I always made sure to get my 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day to protect my skeleton and promote healthy muscles from the protein in the milk, and uh, and that was a, those were the two nutrients I watched. I um, looking back, that was so humorous at how I, what a small amount I knew and really how much misinformation I had. <laughs> yeah, you you knew almost nothing, and the two things you knew were wrong. <laughs> exactly. That sounds particularly dangerous when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what what uh, what changed? What motivated you to become um, an expert in nutrition? 
Oh, well, I have to tell you, I was, I was a pretty big snob about my health before, before uh, I went to the doctor six years ago. I really thought I was doing well. I had a, I had a nice healthy body weight. I exercised to the point of drenching my shirt through running or hot yoga, you know, six or seven times a week. And uh, I, I ate what I thought was a very healthy diet. In fact, at my appointment, my doctor asked me what I was doing and listened very carefully to me because I wasn't gaining weight like other people in their 30s and I was healthy and strong and had a lot of energy. But then when my laboratories came back, I had uh, an elevated blood sugar that was precariously close to being diagnosed as diabetic. I was just too... Uh, points of blood sugar away from diabetes and um, and in addition to that my cholesterol was elevated so suddenly I went from being uh, what I thought was very healthy to having some serious looming health problems so 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 your your doctor I assume was going to start prescribing statins and insulin and, yeah and that was and that was going to kind of burst your bubble as a healthy person <laughs> right. Well, we, uh, he wasn't ready to start statins because I was pretty, I was pretty young yet. And then when I said, I don't want to be diabetic, I want to, I want to make this go away. He said, Oh, well, don't worry. You know, it'll be, you, your risk is only increased 16 times in the next five years. And then when you get diabetic, we'll start some medicine and it'll be fine. So it was, I was shocked at the idea of adding medicine in my late 30s. I, I, I was I was just completely shocked. In fact, I told him that I thought probably he had um, screwed up and it was somebody else's blood. Yeah. <laughs> it could be my blood. <laughs> but then I went back to my office and I checked it another hundred times on my own meters and it was, actually it was my blood. <laughs> it was my problem. So I, I'm, I'm curious at this point, if you had been the doctor and someone like you had come in with exact same numbers in the same situation, what would you have told them at that point? Oh, I would have told them exactly what my doctor told me. You know, don't worry. We, I have an armamentarium. I, I literally have 15 weapons I can use against your diabetes and we will keep this under control and we'll, uh, we'll keep it, we'll keep it at bay. I, I had no, um, I had no capacity to talk about curing or controlling a disease with diet or lifestyle, you know, and, and nobody I saw did either. I went to an endocrinologist and spent some real money getting some additional tests. And he, his, his final conclusion was, congratulations, you know, you're not diabetic yet. And, uh, and then when I said, what should I do? He said, exercise and eat right, which I was already doing. So I, I, I left there even more frustrated than, than when I arrived there. You know, I still didn't have any great advice. Wow. <laughs> so, but I guess what, what I'm, what's different from a traditional narrative is, you actually wanted to make your health better on your own. Like this, there, there was there was something unacceptable about the sentence that was about to be passed on you. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of an expert on um, medical education, having watched you know several seasons of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and, and, and so I, you know, so I speak with authority when I when I say that you know the one thing doctors never learn is how to take care of themselves. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I don't, I would have to say that's just, that's true of everyone. And I think I have, I have so many patients in my practice. I, I would say the majority of my patients don't want their disease controlled. They want to be disease free, but they don't have the data. They don't have great advice 
to follow to to um, generate the outcomes they're looking for. You know, they um, they panic just like I did when they get an awful diagnosis. But then, so often, the doctor that they're working with cannot offer them sound advice on on how to um, turn things around. So I I don't think it's the fault of the patient that we have so many people on so much diabetes medication and and so much blood pressure pills and cholesterol pills. They they just they just don't have a simple straightforward piece of advice to follow. You know, and we have research. We know that if doctors just tell their patients to eat more fruits and vegetables, they do. You know, there was Puerto Rican data that uh, that followed almost 700 patients over six months, and they found that if doctors just say that, if they just say to eat your fruits and vegetables, patients increase their consumption by 1.4 servings a day, which is such a ludicrously small amount of fruits and vegetables, but it actually reduces their systolic and diastolic blood pressures. It increases their cryptoxanthins and their beta carotenes and their ascorbic acid levels in their blood, and it decreases their risks for cardiac outcomes. Just that tiny little intervention. I guess when you're when you're so low that uh, your your system has tremendous sensitivity to any improvement. Oh, I think so. I mean, sometimes I think that when I watch people eating their dinners and they're eating a standard American diet, like how, how, what is the low point that you can go? And I think that's where your genetics kicks in. I think some people are very sensitive to small servings of very unhealthy food, whereas other people can, can, their bodies can find nutrition in, in much lower levels of healthy choices, you know. But for some of us, our diets have to be almost 100% healthy in order to sustain a general good health. Right. I, disco- I discovered when I uh, switched to a healthy diet that I was I was like this um, finely tuned sports car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, you know, which, which bothered me. I, I realized, like, I, I couldn't... I couldn't tolerate, once I was clean, I couldn't tolerate anything. Like, my friends are, like, you know, munching around, and I would have, like, one bite of a Snickers bar, and it would, like, lay me low for two days. Oh, jeez. It's like, if I'm so healthy, why do I feel so bad when I, when, when I, I, when I stray? You know, it was I, almost like I had less, uh, less tolerance than, yeah, than or, everybody or less else. Yeah, for the injury, but you do, you just, you do get hyper aware of it. I, uh, I, I remember, I, I think about it for when I used to have bad allergies. I would go see my allergist every three months. And back when I was eating, you know, dairy every day and meat at each meal to maintain my protein and my calcium, I had, uh, I had asthma that I used an inhaler for and I used a nasal spray twice a day. And then all summer long, I took a Claritin or a Zyrtec to, uh, just, just to stay slightly on top of it. But I had a headache almost every day from sinus congestion. And now I haven't used an inhaler in three or four years. I don't, I never use a nasal spray. I use a Claritin once or twice in August for a skin rash I still haven't gotten to the bottom of. But, but I, but I'm off all these allergy pills. But I remember when I first went to him, he, I told him, I don't want to take pills. I don't want to. And he said, Mary, you're making me treat you with one hand tied behind my back. You know, how, how can you expect me to get you better when you won't allow me to give you all the pills I need to give you? But, um, but I think that now about my diet. Like I was, eating the salad back then but covered with cheese and chicken and I ate uh, potatoes and vegetables at dinner but I had a side of uh, a side of, of meat to go with it and I was giving my body some of the nutrition but then I was also tying a hand behind its back and not letting it and I thought I was healthy I felt great 
And, but then after I got rid of it all, I felt ridiculously great. You know, then I'd get home from work and be like, come on kids, let's go play with sidewalk chalk. Let's go rollerblading. Let's go for a bike ride. And I, all that energy just came from nowhere. I had no idea that I would still be able to do all those things uh, as I moved into my forties. And it, you know, in my later life, I thought that you came home from work and you just sat down because you're retired. You know? So, so how did you go about discovering helpful facts about nutrition after your diagnosis? Well, I went online and I read uh, all the studies I could find. And initially, all of the studies, uh, I mean, there's uh, all of those, all those sites are available and I was used to perusing uh, uh, sites with the medical literature. So I, there was a bunch of data on various um, diabetes medications that were being used in pre-diabetic patients to reduce their, 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 uh, their, the direction of the disease so that you actually went to diabetes in five years instead of in one year. And, uh, and then, and then after going through 10 hours worth of, of literature on pharmaceuticals, I started to come across these nutrition studies by Ornish and, uh, and Barnard and all of these so-called doctors, you know, that thought that you could cure yourself with nutrition. At, at, at the time, I, I thought that was completely ridiculous. I would never, compromise my health by removing meat and dairy from my diet. <laughs> so, so I completely ignored that advice. And then uh, three or four weeks later, uh, I had a vegan day. I just very accidentally had a vegan day. I had, um, I had, I had my milk had rotted in my fridge, so I had my cereal dry, and uh, and my lunch was a pasta lunch, and my dinner ended up being uh, a veggie dinner just because the cut of meat I preferred wasn't available. <laughs> Seriously, that was how it went. And the next morning, first time, my uh, my sugars were under a hundred. Unbelievable. Uh. But the, the universe was working very hard on your behalf. I know there had to have been some divine intervention there. So I, so I just swallowed hard and I did it. I just went vegan overnight. Uh, I, I, I couldn't figure out any other any other way that could possibly work, and and it just worked like mad. In three months, I I was having abs. Well, immediately I had no blood sugar problems. Three months later, my cholesterol was seventy points lower. And, and like I said, I was driving my kids crazy, running their legs off after work. So, so, uh, so it was time to start working with other people. And, and, uh, and so you're right. My training with people, with actually talking to a person and, and helping someone make change is all virtually all self-taught. I actually went to business books and, uh, self-help books and materials like that to try to figure out um, provocative statements and 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 how, how to talk to people about things because I, I was never trained on really how to um, how to help people uh, adopt new ideas and so I looked to that literature to help me with those ideas. Mm. So what what are what are some of the the best and worst ideas you came across um, <laughs> um, around helping helping patients transition? Well, I think taking a really hard line and telling people it's an all or nothing proposition is, um, is ineffective. And it's probably not realistic 
from a scientific perspective. You know, uh, all of the work in, in nutrition says that 95% is as good as 100%. And, and, uh, and all the data in nutrition and exercise says that the, the first step, just, just getting off the couch and going for a walk is the most important step you take, you know? So in nutrition, similarly, we have to start, we have to find people where they're at and, and move them from there. So, um, it, it, there's, there's a number of ways you can foil yourself and limit good outcomes if you, uh, it, you know, if you try to force somebody to move too quickly. So, and people will try to derail you too. I think a very interesting part of nutrition, uh, education and working with people on something that is, this is, this is very, very close to the heart stuff, you know? I'm, I'm suggesting that the food that your mother fed you or that you used to cook when you went to your grandma's house, that those some of those foods need to be abandoned. And uh, people really have a, a very strong relationship with some of those foods. So uh, it's you have to be really, you have to just tread carefully. You can't be too careful because you are in a position of authority and people are coming to you for the best advice. So you can't water down your advice too much, but you need to try to help people get there at, you know, at a pace that they're comfortable with. So do you, when, when someone comes to you, do you sort of assess, you know, are they resistant to the idea? Are they open? Are they ready to try it? Uh, like do you have different strategies for folks at different, different places on the, the continuum of readiness? Yeah, that, that I actually learned with uh, tobacco cessation, and there's a lot of research on that, that if you want, if it, that when you talk to people about smoking, you, yeah, do you smoke, yes or no? And then, um, so do you eat? That's a pretty easy question. <laughs> I don't ask that. Do you eat food? <laughs> so, I know they're eating food, so we skip that part. And then, and then I ask them, uh, you know, are you interested in, in modifying your diet toward better health? Have you thought about it? Uh, so, so there's phases. There's a pre-contemplative phase. Uh, yes, I, I eat food, but I don't want to change anything. Or contemplative, where they're actively considering change, or they're in a change mode. You know, so if they're pre-contemplative and they haven't thought about it, we can plant a seed. Just. You know, can I suggest to you that certain foods are healthier than others and I would like to see you make healthier choices to, to extend your life and, and feel better. And then if we can get a positive to that, we can just move on from there for now. But if they're thinking about changing, then I have a little more room to, uh, to really spend time and focus with them. But after a few years in a community, people catch on that this is my thing. And, uh, and I, and so more and more the people that come to me are people that are interested in diet change. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and then. Yeah, go I, ahead. Oh, and I think if we can just have very simple, very, very quick, six second or less, uh, things to say to patients to just give them great diet advice. Uh, I, I want you to increase your fruits and vegetables and choose more whole grains and beans and less dairy and meat. That's a, it's a six minute intervention, a six second intervention, excuse me, six minutes and no doctor will do it, but any doctor will give a six second intervention. So. And you say that, that, that actually, even that simple actually affects behavior. Yes. We know that it does. We, we, I mean, that, that's been studied. So if, it, because doctors have such an incredible amount of authority, uh, that even if they just say something that simple, patients will, will do it. It's, it's really neat. That's really a neat position to be in because uh, having that degree allows me the level of authority that I can, you know, help people navigate change a little more easily because they're listening to me, you know. Mm. 
so all right, so you'll you'll give them some bit of advice, and they'll 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 take it or not, or take it to some extent. Do you use um, any sort of metrics to help people convince themselves, like pre and post tests, or, or apps, or things, you know, where, like, you know, you didn't really believe the numbers until yeah. you did them yourself, but but at the same time, you you give great stock to numbers, I think the way most of us do. Uh, you know, a change in cholesterol or a change in, in triglycerides may mean more to us than the, our subjective feelings. So do you, do you incorporate any of that to, to help people convince themselves? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. And no, I don't. You know, in all of in all of my patients, when I was in a private practice, now I'm hospital based. And so, um, you know, most of the time I'm dealing with people that, are, that have just had a serious insult to their health, like a, a stroke or a heart attack or a terrible pneumonia. And I'm talking to them uh in a position of authority, but also when they're in sort of a fear position. And um, whether or not that leads to more effective counseling is hard to know in the long term. It does lead to more personal change in the short term, and but I don't know how it carries over in the long term. But uh, but I, I most of my patients, uh, virtually all of them, have an updated cholesterol, uh, updated blood sugars recently. They're on a couple of blood pressure pills especially in the environment I'm in now, they're taking, you know, two or three pharmaceuticals. And so I can talk to them about the diseases that they're at and talk to them about their numbers and how we can modify their, uh, their numbers. But then, you know, you can, you can start to rely on the numbers so much that you're losing track of the big picture. Like there's these, uh, heart labs that will allow you to check all the different types of cholesterol you have to see how much of the unhealthy cholesterol you have compared to the healthy cholesterol or they'll do a breakdown on, on your, all of these hereditary risks. And, you know, my argument is if you're here, you, if, if, if you have survived all these generations and through all this evolution, you are probably very effective at storing excess calories as fat <laughs> because if you, you would have died off a long time ago. So you're, if you're presented with a lot of excess calories, you know, it, you're, you're probably going to get fat and sick. That's the, uh, that's the nature of the hereditary that brought you this far. So it, I, I'd rather we waste a thousand dollars, um, on, um, healthy food and gym memberships and all of that, which which would not be considered a waste at all to me, compared to wasting several hundred dollars on um, on more like definitive testing to very carefully outline your risks. Because my advice to you is going to be the same advice, whether or not your homocysteine levels or your you know some sort of of uh, of um, you know, complex measurement tells you that you're at higher risk for heart disease. My advice is the same to you. Right. Yeah. We have to be careful with loving on the numbers too much because it starts to distract you from, uh, from the reality of your health. And boy, those distractions are so easy to come by. So I want to ask you about, um, get wasted. Oh, you're, uh, your, your latest endeavor. So you're, you're, you are in private practice, you're hospital based, but you are looking to expand, um, the, the good word beyond the people you get to see during office hours. So what's, what, what's up? Yeah, I've been blogging on health at my site for um, four years now and just trying to present the most recent uh, research. 
Uh, but really, my special interest is in helping people change their behaviors. And uh, and so that's where my reading has been focused and where my writing has been focused uh, for a long time. And, and then I, uh, and I have a special interest in empowering individuals in the community and, uh, um, and helping to, uh, create change in a community-based format. So I love virtually everything about this little company I created. Um, Get Wasted is a, is a, is based on community-based weekly meetings, uh, that have a weigh-in and a facilitated discussion similar to other weekly meetings, but the, Diet recommendations are all about eating whole food, eating healthy food, uh, and, uh, and foods that you can buy at your grocery store that, that will help you not only lose weight, but also, you know, following a diet that's proven to reduce your risk for heart disease and cancer and diabetes and hypertension and high cholesterol so that people take charge of their own health instead of having to rely on uh, Western medicine. Great. So, so what is what? If you can tell us a little bit about what that what that looks like. Well, now we have launched in six different cities, uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Madison, Wisconsin. So, a folk, a, a folks who are interested, individuals who are interested in becoming directors, uh, can contact me. Check out the site. Uh, we we. We have a quiz. We have information that we can send you. We do an interview and find out where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and how we can help you feel very comfortable and confident as a director. And then we've created a really big, beautiful uh, director kit. I just sent out a new director kit yesterday to our most recent uh, uh, new edition. And it's, it's just a gorgeous kit, <clears throat> big enough to start 30 uh, new people on the program. And then... Uh, and then we have all of the support to uh, start the program in your community. So this sounds a little bit like you're taking on Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig. It should sound a little bit like I'm taking on Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig. I think it's I think it's uh, time to inject a little more responsibility and a little more integrity into the weight loss community. There's a lot of people that are that. There's a lot of there's a lot of ways to hijack your health, and these processed foods, these uh, these highly processed foods, really limit your ability to be effective with long-term weight loss. Uh, it it presses all the right biological buttons to eat a sweet, creamy shake or a bar, but it doesn't it doesn't uh, promote long-term health, like like eating a uh, a smoothie made with fresh fruits and vegetables does. So we, we really want this to be something that is sustainable and uh, and able to be done over a long, long period of time with excellent results. Hmm, that's that's interesting because if if Weight Watchers is anything as a business model, it's sustainable. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're talking about two two different uh, sustainabilities, huh? <laughs> Well, sustainable weight loss for the woman rather than a sustainable business model. Because you're right, Weight Watchers is is uh, developed. The whole system is developed on the idea that each woman who interfaces with Weight Watchers will will sign up 16 times over their lifetime oh. with, with that in order to lose weight. They they know that once you go off the program, you'll regain and then you'll be back. And uh, and so it is. It's a great business model if you're looking at uh, designing a business if you're looking at helping people create positive personal change so that so that in the end they end up firing you 
because they don't need you anymore, then uh, then yeah, get wasted is a better model. <laughs> yeah, you want to get fired with recommendations. Yes, right? I'm going to fire you, but here's four of my friends. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, once you get on this, and 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 we're trying to change the metrics that are being measured. You know, the uh, the online support that will be offered free to everybody who is in a community, and will also be offered, you know, at a cost if you just want to be in the online community. Uh, the metrics we'll be measuring are going to be a little different. So we're going to be measuring non-dairy calcium, uh, plant-based proteins. Uh, fats and weight and calories, just like every other uh, weight loss program, but also fiber and antioxidants. And I think when you take our program and you uh, measure all of those indices, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to compete with us, you know, any, any of the Jenny Craigs or Weight Watchers, because the highly processed foods that they're offering you are just are, are not going to be able to um, track effectively on our tracking devices. So do you think that there's a way in which what Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers are measuring actually interferes with success? I do, I do, because I think that they encourage people to focus on the wrong metric. Uh, I heard recently that 50-some percent of people think that they're not getting enough protein, which which makes me think that 50% of people um, don't feel good. Or they're overweight, or they're they're worried about their health, and the only metric they have to measure is protein. That's all they've ever been uh, taught. But if we can uh, teach people that antioxidants are important, and the concentration of fiber in your diet is important, and and that one serving of fruits and vegetables can modify your cardiovascular outcomes, boy, and that really changes the playing field. It changes everything. Hmm. So, uh, it's one. You know, I want to play devil's advocate for a second and say yeah. that, you know, the, what you're saying, eat more fruits and vegetables, um, is kind of, it's kind of mainstream Western medical advice. You know, I know there's the paleo folks who consider fruit to be the devil incarnate, uh, <laughs> but what's the difference really between the way you tell people that gets them to actually, you know, do it and take action and mean it versus the, you know, the completely vague and meaningless politically correct pabulum that, that, that people, you know, really make no significant changes whatsoever. Yeah, oh, I know, because I, I was, um, we were in Washington, D.C. Uh, in the fall for, uh, for Neil Barnard for PCRM. He had an event down there, and my 12-year-old and I went. And that's, uh, the PCRM is the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Right, that's Neil Barnard's uh, group, and he had a, he had a really wonderful weekend. And, uh, and, but on our way back to the airport, um, the, the cabbie started to talk to us, and he, he was 80 pounds overweight, this cabbie. He, he said, he was so sweet. He said, I don't feel like I'm me anymore. I feel like I live in a fat suit. He said, I'm so, I'm so frustrated by this weight gain. And, uh, and then he said, you know what I do? Every so often I decide I'm going to get healthy. So I go to the grocery store and I buy a whole bunch of fruits and vegetables and I put them on the passenger seat in my cab. And then all day long for two days I eat fruits and vegetables. And then he said, I don't know. I don't know what happens then, but then I just I go eat a hamburger. And then I'm right back to where I was. Uh-huh. And, and this this is such a classic story because we tell our patients, eat more fruits and vegetables. And and patients ask me all the time, patient everybody asks me, where do you get your protein? 
you know, how, where do you get your protein on a, on a veg diet? And, and, and that's, um, what they're not, they're not asking me, where do you get your protein? That's really not what they want to know. They want, what the question is, is if you remove the piece of meat from my meal, how am I going to feel full? You know, I can't, can't get full on, on vegetables and potatoes. I can't get full. So it, it, it's, they, it, there's not enough food there. So the real answer to where you get your protein is grains and beans. That's what we work on doing more than incorporating fruits and vegetables is incorporating whole grains and beans into the diet. And then if that cabbie would have gotten a quinoa salad or a, uh, or even just a can of baked beans and eaten those in his cab, then, um, voila, he'd be full. Mm. And he he wouldn't have had to have gone and gotten that hamburger. That's what happened. He just got too hungry. So the real answer to this problem is not just the fruits and vegetables. It's the incorporation of the whole grains and beans. Right, and and I would also suspect it's, you know, when, when I when I it's 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 sort of sad and sweet to hear the cabbie tell you his his entire plan, as if he's going to live that way from day to day. But really understanding that. You know, the change requires an army of allies, and he was kind of relying on one trick and willpower. Yes, yeah. As, as opposed to, you know, setting up his entire environment, increasing his skill set, um, you know. Oh, exactly. Motivating yeah. Motivating himself, finding buddies, all the things that, you, that, you know, I wouldn't go to war without, without my army. <laughs> Right. Pepsi, Pepsi has a, has a marketing plan to get in front of you 32 times a day with a Pepsi product so that by the end of the day, you, you've got a Pepsi in your hand and you, and you don't even know why. And I was realizing that my patients were coming to my office and, and in every single direction when you drove away from my office, there were two fast food stores on every major road in every direction from my office. And, and they were getting to my patients, you know, so many times a day. And I was getting to them once every three months. So that was where my blog developed. But with Get Wasted, uh, I can get to my patients with a very intense message once a week. And then I have metrics and devices and tools and support and community that they can access anywhere, anytime. You know, if it's two in the morning and they're feeling so frustrated and angry and everything is collapsing on them and they just want to make a really bad mistake, they can open up our site and they can read our daily affirmation, you know, that just says, I love everyone and I love myself or, uh, you know, I, uh, I live in my light thoughts and learn from my dark thoughts. Just something that might be all they need to just, to just shift away from the bad decision they were about to make. Mm. I agree. It takes uh, it takes a lot of resources all the time to create uh, a huge personal change. So having uh, having really great resources identified and being able to use them when you need them is critical to making the change effective. That's that that's uh, the reason behind all of, all of these uh, internet support tools. That's why I think Get Wasted Online will be very successful. Great. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's wonderful that we have these mo- existing models of, you know, e- even if they're nutritional components of, you know, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, and all the rest, that there's so much to be learned uh, from the smart behavioral things and marketing things. Like, I love, I love that your, your model for marketing is Pepsi, <laughs> right? Because, you know, because... <laughs> 
clearly they're doing something very right. And rather than simply demonizing them, I think it, it's very useful to learn to learn the techniques that are being used against us and to educate us so that we, you know, so for one thing, we can, as, as consumers, we can learn the difference between marketing and science and that we can become our own marketing directors and set yeah. up our environment to remind us of the good things we want to do rather than, rather than the vices we want to indulge in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really true. You can, uh, you think about McDonald's similarly. You know, what a, what a disaster McDonald's has been to our country to, uh, in a, in a large sense and also in, in a small sense with each person who is pulling through those drive-throughs every day. It's, uh, it's, what a phenomenal disaster. But when, you know, when they started to get lambasted for offering nothing but unhealthy food, then they immediately created a few healthy food items. Um, in reality, they don't sell much of it, and I think in most of their locations, they lose money on even keeping it in stock. But it shifted their image of uh, you know mm. nothing but garbage to offering some healthy choices. And I think healthy nutrition could could learn something from that. You know, we we you get so um, you get such a crowd of people that can get very uh, sort of. Um, solid and and stiff and and inflexible that this is the way you eat and every bite of unhealthy food is another nail in your coffin until you die you know mm-hmm. when in reality that's just not true you know there there's a few bites of unhealthy food can get in there and you're going to be just fine you know your body is is stronger than than people make it out to be so we we don't want to push on a 100% all or nothing concept either because it's it's going to limit our ability to be effective right just what, one one thing to, to share is i was reading a book called uh, the willpower instinct by kelly mcgonigal at a, a health psychologist at a stanford and she was talking about research that showed that the mcdonald's that offered the healthy options actually sold more unhealthy options. Huh. Because yeah. pe- people would wait in line and they would consider getting the salad. And by the time they got to place their order, they had already given themselves credit for eating a salad. Ah, so right. they, could, they could compensate with the Big Mac. Yeah, because the food that you see, you actually think you eat. I talk about that, that if you buy bananas and you set them on the counter and on Friday you throw them in the garbage... You didn't eat the bananas, <laughs> but <laughs> but you look at them and you somehow think that you're eating healthy food. But you walked past them all week and ate some other garbage out of the cupboard. <laughs> That's really true. But you know that almost happened to me yesterday. I was uh, I went out to lunch with my daughter and we were uh, I was staring at the menu and then all of a sudden I realized how hungry I was and I started to look at. I mean, there's healthy food and then there's healthy food that's laced with all kinds of uh, you know oils and and I mean some of it is pretty high fat and I just okay stop you know I, I'm having the salad I planned on the salad and and uh, right now I'm suffering a little bit with a few extra pounds that are making my jeans uncomfortable so I have to I have to just stick with what I planned but you're right you stare at the menu long enough and suddenly it sort of uh, it takes control a bit mm-hmm. that's a very interesting well, one, one more question based on on that uh, self-revelation um, Unlike a lot of people in the health and diet industry, you don't present yourself as perfect. <laughs> like there's something very human and approachable about, you know, your your stories, your admission, and and your empowerment. I'm wondering, you know, did you did you sort of 
decide at one point that you're going to be vulnerable with the public and with patients, or was that a hard thing or a natural thing? Oh, I think um, I think you have to live with integrity, and I've, I was um, I, I'm always impressed when people decide to follow the course that feels right in their heart, and uh, I I just feel like this is the right course. It may make me less popular within the the you know the the very solid um, strict crowd within uh, the healthy nutrition. Um, Within the healthy nutrition team, but but I talk to people all the time who say I eat a little honey, and but I don't tell anybody because it would upset my vegan followers. Mm-hmm. And and I and I've been at vegan events with people who don't eat nuts, and I watch them eat nuts, you know. And and I think that's got to be awful to live in that dichotomy, you know. Right. So, so every once in a while, some junk food gets in there, and I love it. And then, and then it has to get back out again, <laughs> which is always so sad to see it go. But if it's there's too much, it's just you know it's gonna it's gonna undo you, no doubt about it. <laughs> so. Right, and you know if you're gonna eat it, you you may as well enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I remember uh, way back. I mean, in uh, the all of the uh, the training camps for homosexuals, you know, when they when they've been, and this is off the subject of diet, boy. But do you remember when there were two different fellows in government who were both outed as being homosexual at the same time, and one of them uh, went off to be homosexual in his real life. He 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 uh, divorced his wife and he moved in with his boyfriend, and then the other one ended up going to homosexual training camp to be heterosexual. <laughs> and the one fellow had this fabulous smile on his face, and he was finally, he said, I live my life in the shadows, and I've lived my life in closets, and now I live my life. I am who I am all the time. And the other fellow was was still living in his personal misery, you know. Wherever you stand on sexuality, it's a, it was a very powerful story for me because you have to live in your life. You have to be honest about the life that you're living. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a struggle for me to stay on a healthy diet. I wasn't raised on a healthy diet. I, uh, you know, I, whenever my girlfriends go out, there's still plenty of bad food nearby. It's, it's hard for me to not, uh, make mistakes, but, um, the majority of the time, I feel really proud of how I eat, and even when I make mistakes, you know, I own them. They're mine. <laughs> They're, mm-hmm. that's, that's who I am, and, and, I, and I, I'm doing the best I can. I was thinking a few days ago. It's like that old adage: uh, "What you can't do, teach." <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I try and try and try, and I sure hope everything I'm learning is valuable to you, because because uh, sometimes I'm still ineffective, even with everything I know. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and you know, I think it's more it's more helpful to be a a role model for persistence than a role model for perfection. Yeah, and yes, persistence and integrity and uh, and responsibility, you know, just as long as you can recognize that, you know, the diet choices I make, I can I could blame my mom, I could blame McDonald's, like, you know, but I, I make these choices, and and I make a decision to live the life that I'm living, and uh, and 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 I make it out of the very best advice I can get, and I want to empower everyone who crosses my path 
to to live with responsibility and integrity in their diet. I, I, I want them to know what is going to work for them, and I want to give them all the materials they can to to successfully control their own health. And um, and then, you know, I want people to have their own decisions, but I don't think anybody decides to be unhealthy. I think uh, I think they just have had too many confusing. Uh, too many confusing pieces of advice, and once they once they clear the playing field and they think clearly um, and they listen, then it's very easy for people to make healthy decisions. The vast majority of people want to be healthy and free of disease. They just need the right data. Right on. I really think that. Well, uh, Mary Clifton, thank you so much for for sharing the data with so many people in such a a fun and engaging and elegant and graceful way. And thank you for taking this time to talk with me about it. Oh, thank you for all those wonderful adjectives. I love every single one of those adjectives. <laughs> so quickly, before before we end, how can people find you? How can they find your, your books and your website? And if they want to join up either as a... Uh, as, as a participant to, to get healthy and lose weight or to become maybe a director in their community? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can find us at getwasted.com. And spell, and spell that. Uh, it's, it's getwasted, G-E-T-W-A-I-S-T-E-D. So wasted like your waste. And, uh, and then we're also on Facebook. We have a very active, beautiful Facebook site. So friend us there. And, uh, and then the other one is www.getwasted.com. Great. And so for people who may be, uh, you know, their, their, their hobby is plant-based nutrition. I know a lot of people who listen to this, that's true for them. They may have coaching degrees or, or certif- certification or a certificate in plant-based nutrition, and they haven't figured out how to make a living. It sounds like the... The model you're you're creating may be a good one for people who who maybe aren't complete entrepreneurs who need some structure and who need marketing material and who need some guidance, but who are really interested in, in spreading the message and, uh, and and connecting with people in their communities. Yeah, if you already have this, you don't have, you are not required, not required by any means to have any specific training. A whole bunch of people come to us that are just self-trained, but they know a ton about nutrition. But if you come to us with a degree, uh, or some sort of certification, that's even better. You know, then, then you, you really do know the nutrition very well. And then we provide the weekly emails that go out to your groups. We provide the marketing marketing support and all the materials you need to create a thriving business. And then our directors, it's uh, its unbelievable the hard work they do. They've collaborated with gyms and yoga studios in their communities. We give them materials to help with cross-referrals from pharmacies and doctors so you can build a program very quickly. And then if you charge, say, $13 a person for your members to come each week, you keep 12 of those dollars and Get Wasted Corporate takes one. And, and that's how you pay us back for all of our hard work. So um, it doesn't take long to start making 50 or $60 for each half-hour uh, meeting. And it doesn't take long to make a lot more than that per meeting. So that's a reimbursement rate I can get behind. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, again, thanks so much. Best of luck to you. And I look forward to following your progress and talking with you again soon. Great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Sally. Bye-bye, Mary. Bye-bye.